Welcome back to the Referee POV Podcast. Today we have on James Spencer. James is a regional referee, chemical engineer, attorney, and real estate investor. In this episode, we'll be going over James' thoughts on VAR, some practical refereeing tips, and a crazy red card story. Welcome to the Referee POV Podcast. Today we have James Spencer as my guest. He is a fellow referee. I've worked with James for a number of years, although he looks younger than me, but has actually refereed longer than me. So I'll let him tell you about it, but I'm excited to have him on the podcast. So James, welcome. Thanks for joining. Well, thank you for inviting me, Brian. Absolutely. We will. Um, so if you don't mind, let me ask you, just give a quick introduction of yourself, what you do, how long you've been refereeing, all that kind of stuff. I know just from talking to you that you've got quite an extensive resume. So yeah, tell well, me about yourself. Sure. So uh, my name is James Spencer. Um, I turned 40 years old, uh, let's see, day before yesterday. Nice. Um, I'm my, in my regular life, I am an engineer and a lawyer and a real estate investor. Wow. Um, I started refereeing when I was 13 years old. I was actually, I remember, uh, I, was, I would be a volunteer linesman on my brother's games. He was playing in the uh, under seven. And so they had a center referee, but they asked for volunteer linesmen. Wow. I, I really enjoyed doing uh, the volunteer linesmen. And uh, the local uh, youth soccer organization was desperate for referees. And okay. so they were trying to sign people up. And if you agree to take the, the course and passed it, um, and would agree to, to referee the youth games, they paid for your course and they paid for all of your uniform. Oh, wow. Uh, flags and everything. So I said, okay, this sounds like a, sounds like a good deal because I, I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was 27 years ago. Lots and changed. And I am still doing it today. Quite a bit has changed. They don't, I don't think they pay for your uniforms these days. Probably not. No. Of course, back yeah. then we only, had, we only had to have one, you know, one shirt. Yeah. Uh, and one pair of socks because everything was black. Really? Okay. So they didn't have any colors or anything. There were no colors. Referees wore black shorts, black socks, uh, black shirt, and that was it. And the, no teams were allowed to wear black. So it was, it was very easy. I, I mean, the, uh, the first, the first time they introduced a new color, it was a fuchsia color. Um, sometime I think in the late nineties. And, uh, so we had fuchsia and we had black. Okay. Uh, and I, I still have it. I still keep the, the fuchsia jersey in my in my bag so I can show people how old I am and how long I've been refereeing. Really? Well, I think they have that color over in Europe or maybe in the Spanish leagues or something like that. They've they got that. probably do. They, they have every color under the sun nowadays. Fuchsia color. Interesting. So, wow. Okay. So you got into it, what, maybe. So I didn't do the math, but it's got to be close to 20 plus years that you've been doing this? 27 years. Okay. All right. And you got started with your brother. Um, so as you started out, did you ever have a, like a goal for refereeing? I mean, I know for a lot of people and, and especially with you, I mean, you're an engineer, you're an attorney. Did you ever have a goal for refereeing or was this just something that you did on the side? I never really had a particular goal. I was never one of those people who did refereeing and said, well, I want to be an MLS referee or a FIFA mm -hmm. referee. You know, I, I really, I did refereeing because I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I particularly enjoy the challenge of okay. trying to manage a game. And, and I was, I would say, you know, as a referee, you're in the customer service industry. Okay. And I like to walk away from a game and, and leave, you know, a satisfied customer. Right. So okay. I certainly, you know, uh, one of the things about 
about doing refereeing for the challenge portion of it is in order to get a bigger challenge, you have to gain better skills to do higher level matches. Right, right. So I guess from my standpoint, a lot of it was um, trying to increase my skills, my knowledge of the game, my experience, so that mm -hmm. I could do better in higher level matches, which were more and more challenging. Right. And I was fortunate along the way to get to do a lot of, you know, interesting and high level matches and travel a lot of interesting places. Wow. But I actually, uh, I got to the point where I could I could go national mm -hmm. and, and probably be on the MLS track where I could go to law school. And I said, okay. well, I like refereeing, but I don't want to make a career out of it. So I chose law school over refereeing. Okay. And I'm, I'm happy with my decision. Well, so, and let's, let's tell people a little bit about this system because it's changed and they've changed some of the naming conventions. But in the past, this was called... Uh, I think they had multiple levels, like, and they used like a grade nine or a grade seven or a grade six. Right. Um, and in that system, a seven was equal to like doing high level youth games. Um, Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and I think Everyone they moved to like a, seven, a grade eight. Yeah, and so then as a seven plus, you could do adult games and you had, you know, a certification to do. And then like a six was considered what, a state referee? Right. Okay as a state referee, and then we'll switch over to the other terms, as a state referee, what could you do and what were you certified to be able to do? Say that one more time. As a state referee, you had, because you're a, you're a state referee now, you're an emeritus, right? Correct. Which is a big long word to basically say you've been a state referee for a long time. And so they figure you're never going to lose those skills. So you're officially a a state referee forever. Sort of grandfathered in. Yes, exactly. So from a standpoint of a state referee, does that mean you can do college games? Does it mean you can do semi-pro games? I mean, what does that mean? So as a state referee, and, and I, I got as high as a level five, which is uh, right below uh, national, and those were sort of considered national level candidates. Okay. Uh, state level referees can do anything up to and including MLS games. Oh, wow. Uh, you will probably see from time to time um, maybe some preseason games um, on TV where you will see someone with a state-level badge um, on the field. Wow. Uh, uh, most of mine was more semi-pro, semi okay. um, PDL-type games, yep. Division Two, Division Three. Um, you could also do back when MLS had a reserve, they had a reserve system, so mm -hmm. each um, they, they sort of had their first team, which was the ones that you knew about. And then they sort of had a reserve system, which were the players that were on the team, but maybe weren't good enough to make it into the lineup uh, for game day. Okay. So you could do those. And then pretty much anything and everything else. Um, college has its own separate system of okay. qualifications. Uh, and generally that is by invitation only. Oh, interesting. Uh, I did, I did referee, uh, they call them NYSOA referees, but it's, it's NCAA referees. Okay. But there are various chapters around the country, and then they invite generally only state referees um, to do that. Okay, but that's by invitation only. Correct. Okay. All right, interesting. So, um, and I think the, the translation of those now is a grassroots referee is a six or a, or a seven and a regional referee is the six now, correct? I, I know my badge says regional referee now. I haven't really kept up. They've changed the numbers and, and the grades and everything so many times that yeah. I just, I recertify whatever badge they give me is the one I walk out on the field with. Perfect. So 
Um, well, we had uh, one of the MLS referees on a previous podcast um, who was one of the new referees, and he was actually the UPSL, I think UPL, UPSL, USL um, referee of the year. And he was telling me a little bit about the system that really, once you get to a regional referee, that's kind of a state level, you're invited into the next levels. You, that's something where, similar to college, you have to be invited to be a national candidate, correct? Which is what you were. Um, I think you can declare to be a national candidate. Okay. Um, so you need to be uh, a regional referee in order to be considered a, a national candidate. Um, mm -hmm. And nowadays too, um, used to be you could you could become a national referee and you were you were a national referee sort of overall you could do pretty much any matches okay and now All they right. have bifurcated the system where if you want to be a national referee you have to choose uh, a track you can either go national referee who's a center referee or a national referee who is an assistant referee so they okay. want people to focus on one or the other uh, it's a lot easier to become a national assistant referee you might expect there's two rep two assistant referees for every referee. Right, right, right. So um, a lot of the people now are, are opting to do assistant referees so they can still do uh, professional matches um, and have a much better chance of moving up into that grade. But it's yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a very difficult life to do if you want to move up into those really upper echelons. Um, okay. I have a number of friends who were former MLS referees. One of the guys mm -hmm. I came up with in Austin. His name is Ishmael Elfat, and okay. he's a FIFA referee now, and wow. he referees the MLS Cup final and CONCACAF games and things like that. But yeah. it's very difficult on, on uh, your time and your family and, and things like that, because you are essentially a full-time referee um, once you get up to the national and FIFA level. And you that's a lot of travel, from what I understand. <clears throat> it is. Okay. So shifting a little bit, you've been doing this a long time. If you had to give advice to someone that's just getting into refereeing, what would that advice be? I would say don't let yourself get down by the naysayers and the complainers. Okay. Um, although we are in the customer service industry, you can expect pretty much any call that you make, whether it's for a throw in or a goal kick or a penalty kick or a red card, mm -hmm. it's not going to make somebody happy. Yes. So you can't go into refereeing and think that you're doing this and that everyone's going to like you. So if you're that type of person that you want everyone to like you, refereeing is very difficult. Yes. Uh, you have to expect the fact that people are going to disagree with you. Um, and the most important thing really for referee is showing confidence. Uh, so it's a great way to build self-esteem for a yeah, lot of people who are starting out and coming up because you have to be confident in your in your skills and confident that you made the right call because mm -hmm. there's always going to be somebody out there who disagrees with you and they'll tell you yes uh, but don't don't get discouraged don't lose sight of, of what you're doing it is a challenge and if you can if you can get past that the refereeing is a very satisfying um because you could say profession and it's a lot of fun i i, I mean yeah. i do referee for the fun <clears throat> i like to do it I found the same thing. I mean, when I started, it was, I got into it because my son played and it was, and I had never done, I didn't know anything about soccer up until about six years ago. And so it was a great place to be in the action. You could be on the field. You can, it's one of the best seats in the house. It's, it's a great, 
choice to become a, a referee. From a, from a standpoint on youth, so focusing, because I, I focus a lot on trying to recruit youth into referees, which is hard. Um, but what would you advise a, specifically a youth referee? I know same type thing. Make sure you're confident, things like this. But anything specifically to you, youth referees? Okay, I lost a couple of your words there at the end. Can you speak up a little bit? Yeah, sorry about that. So youth referees, if you, I know that the advice is kind of the same thing. You want to have confidence and you want to be confident in your calls. But is there, as a, as say teenagers are getting into this, is there anything specifically you can talk to them around what you would recommend? Sure. I would say, you know, don't jump into the deep end too quickly. Okay. Um, particularly teenage referees, um, they get their first games, they get their new badge, and a lot of times they're doing younger, younger players, you know, the, the right. seven, eight, nine, ten year olds. And they think, man, I really want to be doing, you know, the 16 year olds, the 15 year olds, you know, the higher level things, the sometimes what we might consider the more interesting, the more challenging games. Right. Um, but if you move up too quickly and you do jump in the deep ends, um, there's more risk and there's more reward. So uh, those players are much more difficult to handle. They're the game management skills that you need take longer to develop. And so um, I say I started out refereeing, you know, six-year-olds. Yeah. And then I moved up to the under tens where I was doing nine to 10 year olds. And then I moved up to under twelves and I did, you know, 11 and 12 year olds. And over time you develop those skills and the habits um, that you need and you can adjust as you move up. But if you try to start out refereeing high school kids and uh, you know, you're a little unsure of some of the rules or, you know, what's the difference between a foul in this part of the field or this part of the game, um, it can be difficult to adjust. Yeah. So don't be too quick to, to want to jump in and do the, you know, exciting games. Everyone, you know, thinks after six months, they're ready to jump in and do a professional right. men's match. Uh, but it takes a little longer to sort of uh, get your feet underneath you um, and then work your way up. And that's a good point there. It's refereeing is, is fairly complicated because you've got three different mechanics. I mean, there's much more, but the, the three that I've thought about sometimes is there's, you've got to manage the players and manage the gameplay. You've got to understand the, all the rules and exactly how to enforce those rules. And then you've got to manage things like the mechanics of the time and the coaches and the players and things like this. Do you see one of those areas that may be more challenging for youth referees than the other or is the challenge coordinating all of them i think the challenge is coordinating all of them mm -hmm. uh, most referees for the most part know the rules um, a lot of us have, have been players or you know we have kids that have played and so we, we a lot of us have a pretty good understanding of the rules mm -hmm. um, the more challenging aspect is when do you apply those rules and when don't you in terms of you know, when is a push a push, um, yeah. you know, in a six-year-old's game as opposed to a 16-year-old's game? Those those are going to be different. And then also, for instance, in the younger age groups, managing perhaps the, the expectations of the parents and the coaches is a lot more challenging than the players. The players mm -hmm. will do whatever you tell them to do because uh, they're used to um, acknowledging and respecting authority. Yeah, they're six-year-olds. When you get to 17-year-olds, <clears throat> 
uh, the parents a lot of times don't even come to the games. Their kids drive themselves to the games and, you know, they're uh, excited and hot-headed and, you know, you don't have to worry about the parents or the coaches on the sidelines. It's the, parents, it's the players you've got to manage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and really, as you, get, as you get higher up in the higher levels, it becomes more and more about game management and less and less about actually applying the rules or managing sort of the outside aspects of the game. And if you could manage the players sort of with your personality and, and the way that you, you know, sort of adjust and let the game flow, you'll generally, the other things will sort of take care of themselves. So, okay, managing players, that's an interesting thought. Um, how do you manage players or what do you find is a good key to that game management? Well, you kind of want to start at the beginning of the game, and you don't want to do anything to piss off the players or the coaches before the game even starts. Right, right. Um, there are a lot of referees who, who like to referee because it gives them a sense of power and authority. Okay. And in order to have a good sort of working relationship with the participants in the match, I'm not saying that you need everyone to like you, but you want everyone to sort of respect you and think, you know, he's a good guy. And even if I disagree with him, you know, he's doing his best and, and he gets most of it right. So we'll go along with that. So, you know, it varies from game to game. Sometimes it's just, you know, being nice and introducing yourself to the players and the coaches beforehand. Uh, sometimes it's joking around with the players. Um, you know, the other day there was a player who uh, he got injured on the field in a JV match and he yeah. was cramping up. Yeah, and as they were carrying him off the field, I jokingly said, "Man, give him a deep, a deep tissue massage and some acupuncture, and he'll be ready to come back." Yeah, yeah. They all kind of laughed and and moved on, and it, you know, it kept the game sort of you know light in a more serious situation. Um, yeah. And and the you know the player sort of knew, okay, this is a referee that that he's not he's not uptight. He knows how to enjoy the game. Um, we can we can work with him. Yeah. And then also, I would say being being open to the players um, and their concerns and sometimes their complaints. Okay. Uh, telling the player that they're wrong, even if they are, is, is not going to win you any, you know, any friends on the field. Right, if right. If a player comes to me and is complaining that I missed a call or I'm not calling something, I'll usually either explain to them, you know, the rule, or I might say, look, you know, I missed it. I, I, I couldn't, I didn't see any pushing or something like that. I'll watch for it mm -hmm. or tell me who is holding you and give me the number. And then I can watch for it the next time. And obviously you're not changing your call, but they understand that you have heard them. And a yeah. lot of times that's all that the players and a lot of times the coaches too, is they want to know that they're being heard um, and that, that you're taking their input into account. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to act on it. Right, but, right. But it gives them the sense and the sort of the, the calming patience that, okay, this isn't a referee who's just going to do it on his own. He'll listen to me. And I think that's really important to establishing a good relationship with, with sort of the players, the coaches, and the other participants. Yeah, and it, and it takes it out of the realm of, or at least somewhere, it's an adversarial, you know, we're, the referees are against the teams or against the coaches or there's a, a, a battle between there. It's more we're working together to make sure right. we're getting the calls right. Which, okay, another thing, question for you. So this is more of a practical application, but what happens when you get a call wrong and you know it was wrong? 
how do you react? Do you just try to push forward? Do you, how do you handle a situation where you know you've gotten a call wrong? Well, it depends on, on a lot of factors, you know, in terms of the game dynamics and, and what, what type of call you got wrong. Okay. Uh, so for instance, if it's a, if it's a real easy call, right? Like say you, you point the wrong direction on a throw in. Right. right? Or as soon as you, you give the direction for the throw in, you realize that everyone else thinks it's the other way. <laughs> right. I usually just change my call and say, my bad, my bad. It's this yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah. Um, you can do that too on a foul. I've done that where I pointed the wrong direction. Like, what? You know, what did I do? And you're like, oh, sorry. Sorry. I meant to, I meant to go this way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if it's the type of call where maybe it was a it was a close call and maybe you, maybe you called a foul where maybe it was a little too soft or something like that, mm -hmm. you just need to project confidence and sell it. Okay. Right. I've made the call. I'm not going to change it going forward. Um, if there's a situation where you didn't make a call. Mm -hmm. uh, and it seems like everyone seems to agree that you were wrong. You didn't call a penalty kick or something happened and, you know, you, you, you didn't see what happened, but everyone seems to think that a card should be issued. In those types of situations, I will usually stop the game and I will go over and talk to the nearest assistant referee. And it could be, you know, just to ask him about the weather you know, or something else so that it looks like I'm doing my due diligence and, and, you know, consulting a second, second uh, set of eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It can also be that, um, you know, let's say for instance, there's a penalty, you know, what, what is a potential penalty kick? Yeah. And it's the type of situation where I have missed something and I'm pretty sure I've missed it. Right. I'll go over to the assistant referee, talk to him and then come back and call the penalty kick. And you can say, look, yeah, the assistant referee saw it. I, the referee, I was blocked. I didn't see the handball, whatever. I talked to him. He said it was a clear handball penalty kick. You know, it's taken care of. Or if he gets back and he says, nope, um, I didn't see it either or whatever, then you can go forward with the game. But at least you have, again, shown the players that you have listened to their concerns. You've consulted with somebody else who had a different angle. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, they feel like, uh, you're trying to get it right. And right. that's, that's really what they want, you know, right. Get it, get it right. You know, most of the time. And if you don't, you know, try the best you can to uh, perhaps get different input from other officials. Um, but uh, if, if, if they give you the same input, then you say, Hey, I checked and he, he didn't see what you saw. And we're so good. Got to go forward <clears throat> from there. Yeah, and again, that 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 mirrors that confidence of being able to be comfortable enough within yourself to say, "Yes, I'm comfortable to know that I made a mistake too, or I didn't right. see something." So that's fine. Things move. And on. I will. I would also tell you, and this is something that a lot of referees, I think, make a mistake with. If there is a mistake that is a very obvious mistake, yeah, do not try to act like you're right. And that everyone else is wrong. The best, the best way to do that is to admit that you have made a mistake. Yeah. And then go from there. Uh, I remember I had a game once where uh, basically I was I was down near the end line on like a corner kick, and ball came out, and everyone sort of moved out, and they passed the ball back in, and the guy was clearly forward was clearly three yards behind everyone else. Yeah. But my linesman 
I could see him on the far side and he wasn't in position with the second to last defender. And I was in great position. And this guy trapped it and was basically about to shoot in, into the back of the net. And I called the offside only to realize that one of the defenders was still on the post behind me. And I hadn't seen him. Um, yeah. And that was, that was the big problem there. And of course the coach and the players just went nuts because this, you know, this would have been, I think it would have made the game two to one if he'd scored or something. Okay. And so I it would get him in the lead. Yeah. But I blew it. I didn't see the guy over here. Totally my mistake, but there's nothing I can do about it. All I can do is drop the ball for a bad whistle. Yep. And that's what I did. And at the end of the game, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get anyone who complained, who said I was an awful referee. I actually got, you know, wow. I've never seen a referee that admitted they got it wrong. <laughs> right. And right. So if you get it, don't just fess up to it and, yeah. and you know, do what you have to do um, to move forward and correct it if you can. Yeah. And you'll get a lot more respect from the participants in the game than if you just try to ignore it or pretend that, like you didn't get it right. 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 So, okay. You, you also hit on one thing that it reminded me. I wanted to also ask you. You talked about your linesman being out of position and you talked about going over and talking to your linesman to consult on these type of things. Obviously, it's a team refereeing situation. Um, what do you see as the most important thing to, to work within that team? Because I think you often think of the center referee as the person in charge and the person that's running things, and that may be the case, but there are two other referees that you're leveraging. So I think what's it's, the, it's, yeah. it's very important to make sure that your assistant referees are on the same page as the center referee in terms of what is their responsibilities and their authority on the field and how do they work in coordination with the referee. So I always, for instance, I always tell my assistant referees, you know, they are to flag the ball over the touchline first only on their half of the field. Yes. If it goes out on the, the other half of the field, I'm usually not even going to look at them because I'm usually closer to the play. And yeah. I will usually signal without even looking at them. And then they just signal what I do. Same thing with goal kicks and corner kicks. If on their half of the, the goal line, I'll let them signal first because they generally have the best angle. But if it's on the far side of the field, I will make that decision. Mm -hmm. And so that that's helps avoid situations where the linesman makes one call and you're pointing the other direction. Right, right. So we've established who sort of has responsibility in these areas. Same thing with fouls. You know, I tell them, you know, in my, in my game, I want you to flag the fouls that are within about 15 yards of the touchline on your okay. half of the field yep. or in situations where you are closer to the ball than I am and, you, you know, I can't see it. And so that establishes that, you know, if the ball is 20 yards away from them and I'm five yards away and I miss it, they're not to call anything because I'm close enough that I should get that. But if I'm 40 yards away and there's a breakaway and they're yes. 30 yards away and they see something, they can flag that and take care of it. Yeah. And that, that also avoids situations where, you know, maybe you don't want to call something because you're close enough to see that it's, it's not worth calling and they're flagging over on the sidelines when they're 25 yards away, you're 10 yards away. Yeah. And you're kind of going, man, I really wish they wouldn't do that or put their flag down. Right, uh, right, right. Same thing on other issues regarding penalty kicks uh, or offside. Uh, I tell them, you know, wait until the player touches the ball 
most of the time before you put the flag up, unless it's obvious that there's only one player who can get the ball. Right. Otherwise, right. you might put the flag up too early, and then I've got to wave you down because the guy never actually played it, and a different player ran onto the ball. So right, just right. having that sort of communication <clears throat> pregame in terms of what are our expectations for who's going to call what, who's going to call it where, and who has the authority to do what. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I've seen is in – invariably you're going to have very experienced referees as your linesman in i mean some situations not so much because especially if it may be like a youth referee they're going to mainly do lines and they may not but however i mean i've had games where you and i've worked together a three a set of three games where i'm the center on one i'm the linesman on the next one where you're the center and vice versa so Mm -hmm. typically you're going to have usually fairly experienced referees helping you which is good because they're open to this type of conversation and open to listening. Um, okay, another another shift a little bit. Um, this is a question that I always ask every referee that I talk to is, tell me one thing that you love about refereeing and one thing that you wish you could change. So I love the challenge most of all. Um, I, I, one of the reasons I became an engineer was because I liked problem solving. Okay. And refereeing is all about problem solving. Interesting. You know, how do you, how do you resolve, you know, a situation where two players are are ready to fight, you know, and, and keep the game under control? Yeah. Um, You know, how do you, how do you keep the coaches from running onto the field um, from when they see a situation that they disagree with? Yeah. You know, there's, there's a constant challenge of, of keeping the players grounded, keeping the fans grounded, um, and, and at the same time, staying out of the way as much as possible. You know, I, I always say the the best referee is the one that nobody remembers at the end of the game. You want them to remember that that incredible save, you know, that great shot, you know, for the winning goal, you know, that that wonderful slide tackle that that saved the goal or something like that. Exactly. You don't want to remember, you know, the referee blew this call or the referee didn't do that, or he made this call and he carded the wrong person, that type of thing. Right, you don't, right. you, you want to walk off the field and everyone's congratulating the players on how well they played and nobody remembers the calls the referee made or, or what he was. You know, you want to be the, you know, the, the silent individual. Uh, one thing that I could change about the game, uh, I, guess, I guess you could say uh, in general, I think, well, let me let me give one rule that I would like to change. Okay, good. Uh, so the offside rule, where if you start onside and you come back onside to receive the ball, you're still offside. My position is the whole point of the offside rule is so that you're not camping out behind everyone. Yeah. And so if you receive the ball and you're back onside when you actually get the ball, then that purpose has been solved. And right. it's, it's a lot harder for linesmen, too, a lot of times, because they have to watch the players, whether they get the ball on or offside, they still have to put up the flag. And I've always thought that's a rule that, that really serves no purpose, and it just frustrates the players. Because, again, when they, when they get the ball, they're going, well, I've got three guys who are behind, between me and the goal. Why am I being called offside? And it's because he was a half yard offside right. three seconds ago when the ball was passed. Right. So, which... This dovetails perfectly into the other question I wanted to ask you, because in that situation, you've got a linesman trying to make the best call that they can and watching. We've got this wonderful thing called VAR. 
And so I wanted to ask your, your thoughts on VAR. What do you think about it? Because it's the same type of thing. I saw a match the other day where um, the linesman made a call and called the player offside and they looked at it and he was, they lined it up and saw his toe was, was in the right position. So therefore it was okay. So, and they use lasers and they're using guidelines. What do you think about VAR just in general? I'm not a big fan of VAR in terms of those sort of minute decisions. Okay. I think, I think, you know, small things like offside and penalty kicks and things like that. I think you should leave those to the referees on the field. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm a proponent of VAR for the things that the referee simply doesn't see. Right. You know, somebody whacks a guy with an elbow, um, you know, outside of the view of the referee and nobody saw it because the ball was 20 yards up the field. Right. That's right. the type of thing where I'm, I'm, you know, there's no way that the referee could have seen it or anyone else. Cause they just weren't watching that area. Yeah. Same thing when you have, you know, the, these things with uh, penalty kicks and in my opinion i think it it sort of lets the referee off the hook hmm. most referees now particularly that have the advantage of var they will not call the penalty kick they will let the they will let the play continue and then they will go back to var and look at it and then they'll call the penalty kick once var has confirmed it um, same thing with cards they're more likely to give a yellow card than a red card and then let VAR review it and then tell them that they need, they should have given a red card rather so, than saying, yeah, that was an obvious two footed, you know, cleats up tackle. You're yeah. gone. So is that uh, a good thing or a bad thing? I think that's a bad thing. Uh, I, I would prefer again. I think, I think referees need to have confidence in their own calls. And, you know, if it's obviously VAR is, is useful for calls that are obviously wrong. And that's right, what right. it's supposed to be used for the type of thing where the referee makes a penalty call and it turns out, you know, that the guy, uh, was diving and, yeah. and the, you know, it looked everything from the referee's vantage point looked like he got tripped, but in that, you know, in reality, he wasn't, you know, those are the calls you really need to get right. But the type of calls where did he step on his foot? Did he not, we couldn't really tell. And so the referee basically sort of says, not my responsibility. I'm not going to call it. I'm going to let somebody else, you know, in a, in a booth with 16 different angles, take over that responsibility. Uh, I think it makes the referees a lot less confident in, in making those hard to, hard to make calls. And I tend to say, you know, in my position, I get paid the big bucks to make the hard decisions. Uh, and that's my responsibility. Is it a red card or is it a yellow card? Is it a penalty kick or is it not a penalty kick? And I'm the one who is charged with making that decision. It's not, it doesn't get to go to a panel of three or four people who can look <laughs> at five different angles. You know, it's yeah. me. Well, so. and, and it, it cuts down on the challenge to your point about what you love about refereeing is, is a challenge. Well, right. if you're eliminating some of those difficult situations, I mean, those are the ones that you like to be able to take on because right. it's a challenge. Right. Interesting. Okay. Um, okay. We've got about two or three more minutes. I appreciate you spending so much time with us. So another question that I typically wrap up with is what is this craziest story or some story that you can tell me that was the craziest thing that's happened to you or moment that you've had as a referee? All right. So I had a game 
probably over 20 years ago when okay. I was probably in my teens. And I think I was refereeing a tournament at Bear Creek, okay. uh, Bear Creek Park. And it was probably, it was, it was teen boys, probably 14, 15, 16 year old, something like that. Yeah. And game was going along just fine. You know, it was a, it was a rough, tough kind of a game. And all of a sudden, while the ball is in play, one of the parents, a father, gets out of his chair and marches onto the field straight at me. And everyone sort of stops and is going, what is going on? And I'm kind of going, oh, my God, what? To the other side of the field. Hey, James, I'm sorry. Let me stop you. Sorry, the, the video cut out just as you said. So he was okay. walking up to you. So start there again. He was walking up to you. All right. So he, he walked right up to me and walked right past me. Didn't, didn't say anything. Walked okay. to the other side of the field to the opposing team's coach. It's the opposing team's coach, brings him back onto the field. And we're still kind of going, what, what is going on here? Because no one's injured or anything like that. Yeah. And he walks over and he goes, this guy over here just punched my, punched my son, right? And I'm assuming, I don't know if it was a punch to the arm, a punch to the back, certainly didn't hit him in the face or anything like that. Yeah, and no yeah, one yeah. said anything. And so the coach was like, you know, so Michael, did you hit him? And the kid was kind of like, yeah, but he pushed me first or right, something right, like right. that. And so the coach was like, okay, go ahead, ref. And so I gave the kid a red card and the kid walked back with his coach to the sidelines as being ejected. The parent walked back to his folding chair, sat down, and we resumed the game, you know? And like nothing uh, else? Like nothing else had happened. And again, it was the wow. type of thing where it must have been it must have been off the ball, and of course, every parent watches their child very closely. But right, no one right. else had seen it. But it was it was apparently everyone agreed, and the kid admitted he'd done it. And so we gave him a red card, and parents sat back down, and we continued on. So, but never had anything else like it. We don't advise that happening now. We don't want parents coming on to 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 <laughs> right. to do our job. But yes, wow. That is crazy. Uh, well, James, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time. It's, uh, I know that some of the folks that, are, that, that subscribe to our channel are gonna be super excited to see this. So we'll post it. Um, as we wrap up, any, other, any questions or any final thoughts that you have as a, as a referee giving advice to a young referee? Well, I think I would just say that refereeing can be a very satisfying hobby and very lucrative for, for kids that are coming up. Um, you know, you think about a lot of a lot of kids who want to get a job when they're in high school or in college to earn a little extra money, but they don't really have any sort of skills. And maybe, you know, they're making 10 or even $15 an hour. You know, if you if you know the game of soccer, we're always short referees. Yeah. And yeah. With refereeing, even if you're doing a linesman, a lot of times you're making 20 bucks a game. Maybe the middle you're making 30, 40 bucks a game. And so it's a great way to make money. It's a great way to get outside and stay fit. You mm -hmm. know, you keep a great tan. Um, and, or a sunburn. You, know, you exercise and you have a lot of fun doing it. So I would encourage, you know, um, all of our listeners to uh, stick with it and uh, make sure you enjoy doing it. But it's a, it can be a lifelong hobby um, or even a career for some if they want to go in that direction. 
perfect. Fantastic. I couldn't have said it better myself. James, thank you so much. It's James Spencer. He's uh, my fellow referee, and I'm super excited that he came to join us on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, James. We'll see you on the field.